MSW Media. Thanks to Aura Frames for supporting our show. Aura Frames makes Wi-Fi connected digital frames that beautifully showcase your photos and videos. Aura is having their best deal of the year. Right now through Cyber Monday, you can save $40 on the perfect gift at AuraFrames.com slash Daily Beans with promo code Daily Beans. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, November 20th, 2023. Today, a Colorado judge declares Trump engaged in an insurrection on January 6th. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals will hear arguments in the Trump D.C. limited gag order case. A judge declares a mistrial for an ex-officer involved in the murder of Breonna Taylor. Ukraine charges three Rudy Giuliani associates with treason. Trump tries to seize Michael Cohen's phones. Special counsel Robert Herr will not bring charges in the investigation into Biden's handling of classified documents. Gretchen Whitmer is set to sign legislation that will make Michigan green by 2040. Musk faces more backlash after spreading anti-Semitic conspiracy theories on Twitter. Trump lashes out at Judge Engoron's law clerk after an appeals court pauses his gag orders. A federal judge rules that North Carolina's congressional maps violate the Voting Rights Act. Latino backlash grows after Trump's friendly Univision interview. The U.S. is close to a deal to pause fighting and release hostages held in Gaza. And Elon's rockets blew up again. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. First, Dana, everybody, this episode is dedicated to the former first lady, Rosalind Carter. She's passed away at the age of 96. I imagine Jimmy won't be far behind because of how much they were in love and being together was so important to them in these last months. Absolutely wonderful people, indelible public servants who led incredible lives. And thank you to the Carters and uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the Carter family. Also, Everyone, I am I am still very in the throes of whatever is going around, so pardon my voice today. I'm truly sorry. Um, but Dana, how are you? How was your weekend? Um, I'm good. I'm exhausted. Uh, I did. I still have one more gig left this year, but I did my last HRC gala for the year in Boston, and it's it's one of those fulfilling exhaustions, if that's yeah. possible. But I am definitely happy to be home in LA and uh, looking forward to about two weeks off. And then on December 4th, I'll be in New York for the last gig there. So I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired. I'm happy to be back with you and the Beans family. There's nothing quite like that, like good, accomplished, tired feeling. Um, so welcome home. I know you're extremely tired. So I appreciate you being with us on this Monday show. Um, and thanks again for all the love from everybody for the refried beans over the weekends. We're glad you're enjoying the old episodes. It's really, truly incredible how far we've come since we recorded those episodes. Um, also today, later in the show, I'm going to be speaking with Mario Nicholas. He is counsel for the petitioners, the folks in Colorado fighting to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. Uh, in 2024. He's going to explain the ruling. It doesn't get more expert than that. So I'm very excited to speak to him. And because there's so much news, I'm going to have a separate segment on the treason charges coming out of Ukraine against Rudy Giuliani buddies. And then, of course, we'll have the good news. Also, new episode of Jack out now. 
It includes a deep dive into the D.C. gag order appeal, which is being argued in D.C. court today. We'll talk about that more on The Beans tomorrow. And as is the way of the news these days, we have some quick hits. And to make a long story short, too late. First up, surprise, surprise, surprise. Special counsel Robert Hur, who was appointed by Merrick Garland to investigate President Biden's handling of classified documents, will not be recommending any charges. And before your MAGA Uncle Frank cries deep state conspiracy, Robert Hur worked hand in hand with Rod Rosenstein during the Trump administration to help limit the scope of Robert Mueller's probe. Just like Durham didn't bring any charges, now all the MAGA people hate him. Just how David Weiss didn't round up Hunter Biden and put him in Gitmo. People are going to be angry, but, you know, they've got nothing because there's nothing to get. There's a lot of nothing burgers coming from that side. All right. This is from the Daily Beast. Donald Trump's obsession with seeking vengeance against his secret spilling ex-lawyer Michael Cohen. Well, that continued last month with the former president's lawyers trying to seize Cohen's personal devices. As the Manhattan District Attorney's ongoing case against the former president builds toward a trial next year, Trump's lawyer subpoenaed Cohen, who, as we know, is a key witness to Trump's porn star hush money cover-up. Who thought we would say that about an ex-president? Good Lord. Uh, Asking for not only documents from Cohen, but his electronic devices, too. His phones. D.A. Bragg says this amounts to witness intimidation, and he's trying to get the judge to intervene. Yeah, that's way outside the bounds. I don't think it's going to happen. I guess, you know, in true Trump style, they're just throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. Also, a federal judge ruled Friday that North Dakota's 2021 legislative redistricting plan violates the rights of two Native American tribes because it dilutes their voting strength. Her ruling gave the Republican-controlled legislature and the Secretary of State until December 22nd to adopt a plan to remedy the violation. I love to hear it. And in the coming days, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is set to sign a package of bills that would transition the state to 100% clean electricity by 2040. The bills, which also include robust provisions for workers, they're among the most ambitious efforts undertaken by any state to move toward a carbon-free future in a manner that's actively good for people, uh, for the working people. It's significant that Democrats are testing this approach in a swing state in the heart of the industrial Midwest. Love it. Um, And SpaceX's uncrewed spacecraft Starship, developed to carry astronauts to the moon and beyond, failed in space shortly after lifting off on Saturday. The rocket's super heavy first stage booster, though it achieved a crucial maneuver to separate with its core Starship stage, exploded over the Gulf of Mexico shortly after detaching. Meanwhile, the core Starship stage boosted further toward space, but a few minutes later, that exploded too. Oh, goodness. All right. And my last quick hit, not the last one in the in the group, but Donald Trump wasted little time attacking a New York judge's top clerk on Thursday after an appeals court paused a gag order barring the former U.S. president from speaking publicly about court staff amid his civil fraud trial. Now, just hours after the gag order by Justice Arthur Angeron was paused, Donald took to Truth Social, which, by the way, we covered lost $32 million this year, to call his, and I quote, Trump-hating top clerk, politically biased and out of control. Mm, Wonderful. Filings are due in that gag order appeal by November 27th. And Pete and I will discuss that in depth on this Wednesday's episode of Clean Up on L45. All right, we have a lot more news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. 
All right, first up from the Washington Post. Israel and Hamas are close to an agreement on a U.S. broker deal that would free dozens of women and children held hostage in Gaza in exchange for a five-day pause in fighting. That's according to people familiar with the merging terms. The release, which could begin within the next several days, barring last-minute hitches, could lead to the first sustained pause in the conflict in Gaza. A detailed six-page set of written terms would require all parties to the conflict to freeze combat operations for at least five days, while an initial 50 or more hostages are released in smaller batches every 24 hours. It was not immediately clear how many of the 239 people believed to be in captivity in Gaza would be released under the deal. Overhead surveillance would monitor movement on the ground to police the pause. The stop in fighting is also intended to allow a significant increase in the amount of humanitarian aid, including fuel, to enter the besieged enclave from Egypt. The outline of a deal was put together during the weeks of talks in Doha, Qatar, among Israel, the United States, and Hamas, indirectly represented by Qatari mediators. And that's according to Arab and other diplomats. But it remained unclear until now that Israel would actually agree to temporarily pause its offensive in Gaza, provided the conditions were right. A spokesperson for the Israeli embassy in Washington said late Saturday, we are not going to comment on any aspect of the hostage situation. Concerns about the captives, two of whom Israel said were found dead, along with the rising number of Palestinian civilian casualties, have steadily increased pressure on Prime Minister Netanyahu's government. More than 100 countries, but notably not the United States, have called for a full and immediate ceasefire. Now, after initial hesitation, the Biden administration, under its own domestic pressure between advocates of unstinding support for Israel's war, aims and concerns over the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, have fully now backed a temporary pause in the fighting. Beginning with President Biden's trip to Tel Aviv a week after the war began, and followed by multiple visits from Secretary of State Antony Blinken and other senior officials, the administration has pushed hard with Netanyahu, to understand that it is losing the narrative high ground as more Palestinians die. Thank you so much, A.G. This story is also from The Post, the nation's largest Spanish-language media company, Univision. They face growing backlash Friday for its handling of a recent interview with the former president as major Latino advocacy groups delivered a letter of protest to the network's executives in the Congressional Hispanic Caucus prepared to request a meeting with the network. Actor and comedian, and one of my favorite ones, John Legazamo. Love him. Uh, so good. Who recently took a turn as host of Comedy Central's The Daily Show. Also posted a video on Instagram on Thursday night calling for a boycott of the network until it stopped its rejection of Biden ads. Some of which were canceled just before the Trump interview aired. And what he said is, I'm asking all my brothers and sisters who are actors, artists, politicians, activists to not go on Univision. He said that in a message in English and Spanish. The pushback comes after a November 7th interview with Trump at his Mar-a-Lago club in Florida that was arranged with the help of Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and attended by a trio of senior executives at Univision's parent company. Now, the interview was notable for its gracious tone, lack of follow-up questions, and Trump's assertion in the first minutes about owners of the network. They like me, he said. Now, it's a sharp contrast to the long history of tension between Trump and Univision, a fact that alarmed both Democrats and journalists inside Univision. The network, which has said it was also requested an interview with President Biden, announced a new policy of preventing opposition advertising during single-candidate interviews shortly before the Trump interview aired. 
Now, the network also canceled a booking with a Biden spokeswoman to respond to the interview on a subsequent news broadcast. Now, a top anchor at Univision in Miami, Leon Krause, who helmed the late night newscast, announced he had abruptly separated from the network on Wednesday. It was less than a week after the interview aired. Neither Krause nor the network offered a reason, by the way, for the separation in their statements about the split. More than 70 groups, including major Latino rights organizations, uh, not, uh, excuse me, Unidos U.S. Action, America's Voice, and MALDEF, M-A-L-D-E-F, they all sent a letter Friday night to Davis and two other tele, uh, Televisa Univision executives who attended the meeting with Trump that described the interview as a betrayal of trust. And this is a quote from the story. We demand Univision conduct a thorough internal review, take corrective measures and reaffirm its commitment to unbiased reporting and to keeping the Latino community informed and up to date with facts and the truth. This is what the letter read. Unfiltered, unaddressed and unrestricted disinformation does a disservice to all communities in the U.S. and will destroy Univision's reputation as a credible network that informs an important electorate. God, I wish everyone would fucking do this, A.G. What a great letter. Now, the Hispanic Federation, a network of Latino groups, has also separately requested a meeting with Univision executives to discuss their concerns about the Trump interview. Now, the All-Democratic Congressional Hispanic Caucus has also drafted a letter, which is likely to be sent to Univision in the coming days, asking Davis to meet with the members of Congress about the journalistic standards of the network. And that's according to a congressional staffer, who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they're not authorized to speak publicly about the effort. Well, the draft letter, which was shared to the Post, describes a congressional interest in addressing misinformation and disinformation in the Latino community. That was a pretty swift and severe backlash since we first reported on this interview last week. Absolutely. Excellent. Good to see it. Um, And yeah, I wish this would happen with all all networks. (laughs) Next up from CBS News, a federal judge declared a mistrial Thursday after jurors failed to reach a verdict in the civil rights trial of a former Louisville police detective who was part of a botched raid that killed Breonna Taylor in 2020. Brett Hankison, I think is how you say his name. He was charged with violating the civil rights of the 26-year-old black woman, her boyfriend, and her neighbors when he opened fire through a window and a sliding glass door into her apartment during the raid. Hankison was charged with two counts of deprivation of rights for firing 10 rounds through Taylor's bedroom window and sliding glass door, which were covered with blinds and a blackout curtain. Multiple bullets went through a wall into her neighbor's apartment. Investigators said none of Hankison's rounds hit anyone. U.S. District Court Judge Rebecca Grady declared the mistrial after the jury, which began deliberations Monday, failed to reach a decision on both charges. Taylor, an emergency medical technician, was sleeping at home with her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, when officers charged into the apartment using a battering ram to break down the door. The couple was roused from their bed by the banging and Walker fired a, a, a single shot from a handgun, believing the intruders, believing it to be intruders who broke into the into his house and police opened fire, killing Taylor. The group of seven officers was executing a search warrant at about 1245 in the morning on March 13th, 2020, as part of a drug investigation into a former boyfriend of Taylor's. Police did not find any narcotics in the apartment. And what's not mentioned in this story is that they used false information to get that search warrant. The federal charges against Hankison were brought three months after a jury acquitted him of state wanton endangerment charges. 
The former detective admitted to firing the shots, but said he didn't. He did so to protect his fellow police officers. His attorney, Stuart Matthews, said that Hankison thought he was doing the right thing. Taylor's death brought attention to the use of no-knock warrants, and the Justice Department opened a separate civil rights investigation in 2021 into the patterns and practices of the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department. In March, federal prosecutors announced they entered into an agreement in principle with the Department of Justice to resolve the investigation's findings, which include the use of excessive force, unjustified neck restraints, and the unreasonable use of police dogs and tasers, searches based on invalid warrants. That's what I just said, right? Yep. And unlawful discrimination against black people in its enforcement activities. So um, that's very uh, unfortunate um, miscarriage of justice that the jury was hung in this case. In my opinion. That's just my opinion. I happen to agree with your opinion on this one, my friend. All right. Last in this section, this is from the Associated Press. Advertisers are fleeing, fleeing the social media platform X over concerns about their ads showing up next to what? Pro-Nazi content and hate speech on the site in general, with billionaire owner Elon Musk inflaming tensions with his own posts endorsing an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. IBM, NBC Universal, and its parent company Comcast, they said this week that they stopped advertising on X after a report said their ads were appearing alongside material praising Nazis. A fresh setback as the platform formerly known as Twitter tries to win back big brands and their ad dollars. That's X's main source of revenue, by the way. Now, the liberal advocacy group Media Matters said in a report Thursday that ads from Apple and Oracle, they also were placed next to anti-Semitic material on X. On Friday, it said it also found ads from Amazon, NBA Mexico, NBC Universal, and others next to white nationalist hashtags. This is a quote, IBM has a zero tolerance for hate speech and discrimination, and we have immediately suspended all advertising on X while we investigate this entirely unacceptable situation. That's what the company said in a statement. Spokespeople for Comcast and NBC Universal confirmed on Saturday that the companies had paused their advertising on X, but did not provide additional details on the decision. Media Matters said it found ads for NBC Universal's Bravo Network and its brand agency Catalyst next to anti-Semitic or white nationalist content. Apple, Oracle, and Amazon did not immediately respond to requests seeking comment. The European Union's executive branch said separately Friday that it was pausing advertising on X and other social media platforms in part because of a surge in hate speech. And later in the day, Disney, Lionsgate, and Paramount Global also said they were suspending or pausing advertising on X. This man is single-handedly destroying what used to be an amazing social media platform. Now, Musk, well, amazing might be a little bit, it was much better than it is now. It had some issues, but... It had some issues, but not these. Yeah, Musk, as we know, sparked outcry this week when his own tweets, his own tweets responding to a user who accused Jews of hating white people and professing indifference to anti-Semitism. He said, you have said the actual truth. That's what he said about this tweet. Musk tweeted that in a reply on Wednesday. Now, the European Commission, meanwhile, said it's putting all of its social media ads efforts on hold because of an alarming increase in disinformation and hate speech on platforms in recent weeks. Well, the Commission, 27-nation EU's executive arm, by the way, said it's advertising, excuse me, it's advising its services to, and I quote, refrain from advertising at this stage on social media platforms where such content is present adding that the freeze doesn't affect its official accounts on X. 
So there's a lot of money flowing out of this. And I just, I still think he got bankrolled by someone to destroy this platform. I oh, absolutely, absolutely do. 100%. But yeah, now Disney, Apple, IBM, Comcast, NBC Universal, which is Comcast is their parent company, Paramount, Lionsgate. Uh, and what's really interesting is Linda Yaccarino, who is oh, the yeah. CEO. She used to work at NBC Universal Advertising. Yes, she did. And here she is, uh, stuck between a dildo shop and a crematorium, I guess. <laughs> she sold her soul to the devil for sure. I have friends that worked at NBC Universal and they're like, oh boy. Yeah, she fucking did. Um, and this is not going to get better. Um, it's only going to get worse. I, I wish there was somebody who could take it over. I wish maybe the government, there was a way for the government to take it over. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, maybe the banks could repossess it. I like... It's just, um, it's very frustrating to see such an incredible um, source for news and information and, you know, just, just be purchased and destroyed on purpose. That's exactly why it was. It was an incredible source for news and information. And they want to make sure that doesn't happen, especially in the 2024 election. Yep. And you can find me on Post and Threads. <laughs> That's where <laughs> I'm going to end up. And uh, both of the links uh, to my um, Post account and my threads account are on my Twitter bio. I've been hugely deplatformed there. I've gone from, gosh, 280, 290 million impressions a month down to like 50 or 60 million. Like they've really done a number on my account and, and nobody new sees my tweets anymore. Uh, only the people who subscribe and get notifications do. It's sad. It's really sad, but I've made so many amazing contacts and friends on that site. And I hope we, uh, you know, if if somebody doesn't rescue it, I mean, I'm going to stay there and try to fight to the bitter end. But if we end up somewhere else, it'll be post and threads for me. I, I'm also everywhere else. Um, and I know you are, too, at DG Comedy, my friend. So, yep, mostly on Instagram and threads and Facebook, which I know isn't necessarily any better of an evil, but it's a good way to reach the masses with the information in my shows. And so sometimes you got to you got to do what you got to do. You do. Um, but this is just outright insane disinformation and fascism and it's it's hard to watch but anyway that is uh the uh the hot notes today we'll be right back with counsel for the plaintiffs in colorado trying to keep trump off the ballot under section three of the 14th amendment his name is mario nicholas and whether that's going to be followed by a special report on ukraine filing treason charges against rudy giuliani associates and then we'll have the good news stick around we'll be right back after these messages Hey, everybody, the holidays are upon us and they remind us of the importance of connection, especially with those far away. Aura Digital Frames bridge this gap beautifully. It's new. It's easy to use. I love it. Plus, it's a unique and personal way of keeping in touch, especially around the holidays. Aura Frames are Wi-Fi connected and have high resolution displays that make digital photos indistinguishable from real prints. One of my favorite standout features is the unlimited storage. You can enable secure, endless photo sharing via Aura's app so your family and friends can all contribute to your growing photo collection all within a single frame. It is the perfect gift for any occasion, and every Aura frame comes in an elegant gift box without a price tag, making it an unforgettable gift for the ones you love the most. 
Every holiday, I miss one of my best friends from college who happens to live overseas right now. We stay connected by sharing photos through our Aura frames, especially our seasonal family gatherings. It's like we're celebrating together. This year, some friends and I are having an ugly sweater contest. I hope I will win. I think I might. And I can't wait to fill her Aura frame with the hilarious snapshots of the outrageous sweaters that I've picked out. Uh, It's a playful way to keep our holiday spirits high, even though we're apart. Aura is having their best deal of the year. Right now through Cyber Monday, you can save $40 on the perfect gift at AuraFrames.com slash DailyBeans with promo code DailyBeans. That's $40 off their best-selling frames by going to A-U-R-A-F-R-A-M-E-S dot com slash DailyBeans and using promo code DailyBeans. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm excited to be joined today by Counsel for the Plaintiffs, in the Colorado case to keep Donald Trump off the ballot pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Please welcome Mario Nicholas. Hi, Mario. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, first of all, Counselor, excellent job. Well argued. Uh, and and I, I say that I am not a lawyer, but I, you know, I, I watch, uh, I've been watching this fairly closely for, for a while and all legal things for the last five or six years. But I think, uh, despite what a lot of the media outlets' first impressions were with the ruling in this case, that this was a win for your team. So explain who you're representing in this case, first of all. Sure. So our petitioners, we've got six petitioners who are challenging Donald Trump's right to be on the ballot in Colorado. Of those six, four of them are Republicans, two are unaffiliated. Both Republicans and unaffiliated can vote in the Republican primary in Colorado. And and I think it's important to note that these are not just some random folks off the street. One of them, our lead, our lead, Norma Anderson, is a former majority leader in both the Colorado House and Colorado Senate. Um, she served in that capacity for years, is still a Republican, and has been one of the Republican institutions in the state. Um, you've got another person in Krista Kafer, who is one of the most conservative columnists in the state. She writes for the Denver Post. Um, and she is she is someone who frequently takes the most conservative positions. So whether you're talking about school choice or you know pro uh, pro life positions, she argues those all the time. Um, so this is not someone who you would th- consider a squish or a rhino or something like that. These are people who have real, real vested interests in the Republican Party over decades. In fact, one of our unaffiliateds, um, Chris Castilian, is the former deputy chief of staff for Republican Governor Bill Owens. Mm. He he served in that capacity. He he became unaffiliated after Donald Trump became president. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of our folks saw January 6th, saw the violence, um, and saw the insurrection that happened and Donald Trump's engagement in it. And they said, we can't take this anymore. And then when we talked and I talked to them about, hey, would you like to be involved with this? They said, yes, absolutely. We want to do that. So I, I think when you're really looking at it is we this is not something that's been a lot of the media is talking about, oh, well, this is liberal groups and liberal people and liberal folks going after Donald Trump. These are Republicans and conservative unaffiliated members who are suing the Colorado Secretary of State to say he doesn't deserve to be on our ballot. Um, it's just the Secretary of State controls that in Colorado. Um, that's what the lawsuit is about. Now, obviously, um, it's it's focused on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and whether he meets that qualification or not. In Colorado, we get to actually, we have laws that allow us to sue um, the Secretary of State saying, hey, look, it would be wrong to put someone unqualified on the ballot. 
So that's one of the reasons why this was brought in Colorado. And in this particular ruling, um, I think it's important to note that the judge made uh, a factual finding and then the judge also made a legal finding. And the factual finding here that I think was the big uphill battle was that despite not being charged with insurrection or seditious conspiracy, despite not being convicted of seditious conspiracy or insurrection, Donald Trump engaged in insurrection through incitation and, you know, therefore, uh, you know, he, he if he were a senator, I guess, he wouldn't be allowed to or, you know, be on the ballot. And then she made a legal finding interpreting the law and in this case, the Constitution. And what she found there was that the president is not considered an officer of the United States because there's two little sections in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, one that says anyone who does this and then the other who says, you know, the specific oath um, and what you what you what you can't run for now. Right. Or what you were before. It's kind of it's a weird semantic legal interpretive argument. But let's talk about why. The big win here is the factual finding, because I, you know, my understanding, and I've spoken to a couple legal legal experts on this, is that when you go up to an appellate court, it's harder or less likely for an appellate court to overturn a lower court's factual finding than it is for them to overturn a lower court's legal finding. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure, and and I do want to back up just a little bit. I want to I want to be clear for anyone who's listening out there. This judge did yeoman's work. Um, this judge did an incredible amount of work over a very brief amount of time. In the six weeks since we brought this case until it was heard, multiple lengthy motions to dismiss. Um, she could have kicked this out at any point there. She chose not to. From the very beginning, she said, look, I understand my role in this is to hear everything, get as much in as I can, to prepare it for appellate review. She said that right from the very beginning. She knew it. And, and she did that. We, we had, you know, she took all of those pleadings that came in, made rulings on them, um, then had five days of evidentiary hearings where we went through this. Anyone who wants to, you can watch them on C-SPAN. Uh, really good stuff there. Um, and then, you know, issued a 101-page document decision. And in that, in that document, in that decision, it's about 98 pages that are talking all about, you know, our victories here and there, and that we were right and that we proved this. For instance, like you were saying, she spent, I think, about 35 pages documenting the fact that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. And then she spent about three pages saying, uh, but, you know, you know, I have this concern that that the president does not fall within the definitions of an officer of the United States. Um, and in fact, the very last footnote says, you know, I, I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of a tie here in what got presented and the tie goes to the runner. That's that's really I mean, I would look at that last footnote um, right. in the decision. It she, she absolutely basically says, look, when when it's so close like this, we should I should err with democratic norms. So then you take this kind of decision and you go bring that to the appellate court and we'll be appealing tomorrow. We'll be appealing on Monday. So whenever whenever your your listeners are hearing this, it'll be Monday. Um, we might have already filed by the time they hear this. Appellate courts can, when they review factual findings like that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection, they have to give discretion to the, the trier, uh, the finder of fact, in this case was the judge. So you have to come over and they, the other side would have to prove that there was clearly wrong. 
um, that the trier of fact made an arbitrary decision uh, that was against all the evidence presented. Well, like I said, she spent 35 pages buttressing that argument. That's going to be really hard for them to overcome if they want to, if the other side decides to appeal that, if Trump just appeals that. Um, the difference when you have a, a conclusion of law, when you have just a pure legal finding and legal argument, is that the appellate court gets to review what's called de novo. When they review de novo, that means they might pay some attention to what the lower court said, but they're just starting all over afresh. They're, they're basically saying, you know what, we can do the interpretation ourselves, we'll do that. So that's really what we're doing is we're just arguing before the Carter Supreme Court now uh, on that issue of whether the president is an officer or not for Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. If we're able to win that um, and if we're able to convince them of that, regardless of whatever the judge said here, uh, then he would be removed from the ballot in Colorado. Now, do you convince them with the same arguments or, or will there be new arguments or can you not really talk about that yet? I don't want to go into it too much because we are, you know, right now drafting and pleading. So even if I was fully sure on that, um, <laughs> it could change over the next 24 hours. Um, what I will say is I think that our our briefings were pretty, they were pretty comprehensive. There was a lot in it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe there were a couple of points that were not highlighted as well um, that we can highlight now better. Um, well, now that I you know we, what okay. the what her right. legal argument is to keep him on the ballot, then you can pull those points out and make more pointed arguments toward toward those. Sure. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's right. I think that's I mean, that's what we'll do. Uh, and we can focus just on that. So, you know, some of our yeah, I was going to say, if you could explain why she what her reasoning is behind the president not being considered an officer of the United States, that would be very helpful because the. The, the language in 14.3 is, I mean, it's not just positive, but it doesn't explicitly say the president and the vice president of the United States. So Right. Um, and so it lists off other officers and it lists off senators or members of Congress or other officers, um, but it does not specifically state president or vice president. What the judge has said is, well... Oftentimes we look at statutes, you know, if you've included specific, you know, specific language and specific groups, but left out others, then you believe that that should be left out entirely. Um, and you interpret it that way. Uh, we don't think that that's entirely appropriate in this case. I, I think uh, the idea... No, it's not. The entire Bill of Rights, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, there was a lot of arguments of put, against putting the Bill of Rights in there because people thought if you put these enumerated rights, that means that none other are, no other ones are covered. No, I, th I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And, and I think it's one of those things where you go back and you look at, um, when you look at the legislative history, when you look at historical evidence of what it meant to be an officer, how people refer to the president at that point in time. Um, you can go, in fact, you can go back to the founding fathers, uh, the founders of this country. Um, when Alexander Hamilton wrote about the presidency, he wrote about the president as an officer of the people. Um, and and that, that's a key distinction, because when you think about it, we were moving from a king to a president. And, you know, Hamilton was in charge of making that argument. He said, these things are different because, you know, in Britain, it was a king that was at the top um, and unanswered by anyone. Here it's the people. And the president is an officer of the people. So even to our founding documents, we've got that. 
I think then when you look at, and, and we had a professor who testified to this, but we'll probably flesh it out more. You look at contemporary use of um, the presidency and whether the people who wrote the 14th Amendment would have considered the president to be an officer. I think that becomes pretty clear. Um, and we'll make those points and we'll go through that. Uh, you know, I, I, it's it's a thing. We think that the judge got this wrong, but also I think the judge did a terrific job. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't want people to lose sight of the fact that the, this judge has gotten so much farther than any other court in this country and and did put out, you know, did declare that he engaged in insurrection. And it'll really be up to the appellate courts to decide, well, now we know he's engaged in insurrection. Um, and with that as the basis, is the president above the law? Does this does the 14th Amendment apply to the president or not? And I think that's really what the court will wrestle with, Carter Supreme Court. And and I think our our answer is the affirmative, absolutely. The, the entire history of this country argues that, yes, no one is above the law, including the president of the United States. Right. And it wouldn't make any sense to say uh, insurrectionists and Confederates, hey, don't run for Senate, don't run for Congress, don't be judged. But hey, you can be president if you want, though. That's totally cool. You would have to actually make that uh, argument a reality. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder how you would argue against, because I've actually made this argument in other scenarios, um, saying, uh, uh, and this particular scenario saying, but what about the fact that the Constitution only puts three requirements to run for president? Where does that intersection come in because I my what I'm guessing is is that the 14th amendment was kind of a an answer to that like to say that a confederate can run for senate you know who engaged in insurrection kind of makes it uh, a pretty easy call but the president specifically has these three criteria and and that's all they have to meet well I would first say you should look at your constitution again um, <laughs> And the reason is because those are three that are in Article Two, uh, but the Constitution has other qualifications for the president. So um, we do have amendments that require that if you have served twice before, um, you can you can no longer uh, you can't run again, you can't hold that office again. So you know, I mean, okay, that applies to exactly three people in this world: uh, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. Um, but nonetheless, nonetheless, there is that is in the Constitution as well. 14th Amendment is in the Constitution. That's why we allow, that's why the founders created a document that we could amend so we could put it in there. And I think, you know, all of these are qualifications. I I, I, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine Republicans would be okay with Barack Obama being on the ballot again and running again and saying, you know what, we're in trouble. I'm going to run. Um, I, I think, you know, it's not an Article 2, so I can go ahead and do that. They, you know, exactly. they, they would lose their minds. So I think, you know, this is a part of the Constitution. It is a, and all of the amendments, they're, they're co-equal. One doesn't trump another. Um, they all have the force of law. And I think that Section 3 has the force of law as well. And that's what we'll certainly be arguing. Well, excellent. I, I do also want to bring up, you would ask before, and I, I'm long-winded because I'm a lawyer, right? Um, but, um, you know, there, there is also a question about the oath that the president swears. And Section 3 talks about taking an oath to support the Constitution. And the judge did note, well, the president doesn't take an oath to support the Constitution. In fact, the president's oath is the only oath that is actually found in the Constitution, and it's to protect, preserve, and defend the Constitution, um, which 
seems like it goes even farther than support. It's it's beyond support. And and actually, if you look at when you go back and you look at dictionaries from the time um, of when the 14th Amendment was written, and we argue this in court, um, support, you know, defend. One of the definitions of defend is to support. Um, so it is it is really hard to kind of take that out just because it doesn't set, specifically say support. They they argue, you know, the other side argued that we think that the evidence the other way is stronger. And we'll make that that argument to apologizes. Yeah, I have to say when I reported on uh, Donald Trump's filings and pleadings in this case and read their argument that Donald Trump never swore to support the Constitution, he only swore to protect and defend, etc. Uh, I laughed. I laughed out loud. I said, that is the most ridiculous argument uh, I've I've like semantics argument I've ever heard. Um, and, you know, he tends to use a lot of dictionary definitions um, when he talks about uh, trial participants. Well, that could be anybody. You can't gag every trial participant, you know, whatever it is, uh, when there's actually it's a legal term of art and there's a, a little bit of, uh, you know, nuance to it. Uh, and then to read in this ruling that that was part of her decision, um, I was a little bit shocked and kind of felt a little embarrassed that I laughed so loud at that semantics argument. Well, even worse, I mean, you you do a lot of readings of his pleadings. Um, we cited some of his own pleadings in New York where Donald Trump says he's an officer of the United States um, because, because he needed it. Um, when when he was going to make, you know, Westfall Act in E. Jean Carroll, he had to say he was right. an officer of the United States so that he could be certified by the Department of Justice and have her case thrown out. Department of Justice read it differently, finally, uh, and decided to back out as the representation in that case. I, I remember it well. So, yeah, he 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 argues it when it's a sword and a shield, right? Well, yeah. And, and, and in that pleading, and, and we brought this up before the court and we'll bring it up before an appellate court as well. He absolutely then goes on to bash the folks who he relies on in this case and bash their opinions on. He he goes after um, Kurt Lash and, and he goes after some of the others that had actually written about this and said, well, you know, they're wrong. The president is an officer of the United States. And so, you know, I mean, it's uh, I mean, talk about a guy who's talking out of both sides of his mouth and trying to make that argument here. I think I think I think this is an argument we can win at the appellate level. And and we're we're pretty we're pretty confident in our position. Like I said, you know, it's it's a classic mistake. And I think the media did this and, and maybe other people did this. And we I certainly was guilty of this. I skipped right to the last page. And I read the last page, I'm like, oh no, we've lost. Um and then I went back to the beginning and I read through. And as you read through, you're like, how did we lose? Like this opinion is so strong for us. There were so many good um findings and so many good conclusions and so many you know some of the stronger arguments that that it wasn't ruled on and then it came to this you know, the the question of an officer and after we got that we said okay well we think we can win this we 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 will go ahead we will appeal and we think we've got a strong case on appeal yeah well donald trump thinks that he has absolute presidential immunity from criminal prosecution um which would completely undermine the entire reason we had we left England in the first place um, because oh, I would I would again I I mean I guess Donald Trump has a qual you know has a quarrel with Alexander Hamilton 
So maybe he might want to go reread Federalist 69. <laughs> that would be good. Um, all right. Before uh, I let you go, I know that um, you're really busy. You need to get this appeal in. I just wanted to ask next, next steps, the timeline. I know I think Monday you're going to file to the Colorado Supreme Court. Then what does it look like to get it out of there and into the Supreme Court? And will they, if they hear arguments, are they going to, are we not going to find out until after the election? That kind of a thing. Well, so a couple of things. I think the Colorado Supreme Court knows that this is especially because we're arguing one legal question um, that is under the U.S. Constitution. They understand that they need to act swiftly and quickly um, so that uh, any decision can be appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and it's, it's, it's really set up for that at this point. Uh, the Colorado Supreme Court, our, our statutory requirement is to file an appeal within three days because this is an expedited hearing. I know that the Colorado Supreme Court is well aware of this case, and everyone in Colorado is. And I am sure that as soon as it goes up there, they will order, if they want additional briefings, it will it will happen very, very quickly. They do not always have more arguments, though they might in this case. And if they do, my, my guess is it, it'll be not this week, but the follow, early the following week, we would have any more arguments with hopefully a decision by the end of that week. I, I, I think that's a very reasonable timeline. I don't think it's there's nothing in statute that requires it that fast from them, but uh, the Colorado Supreme Court is very competent, very good. They understand the stakes. They will move with all deliberate speed, I think, to rule on this and then tee it up for the next level of appeal if if it gets appealed again. And the next level of appeal is SCOTUS? SCOTUS, because the only court that can overrule the Colorado Supreme Court is the United States uh, Supreme Court. Yeah, I'm just worried about their timing. That's all. Yeah, I mean, so so SCOTUS can move really fast when they want to too. I mean, I mean, think about think about Bush v. Gore, you know, um, um, and you know, go all the way back to that in two thousand. You know, they can they can put it on a rocket docket and they can hear it quickly, especially if we have a very um, limited uh, scope of, of questions. If we have, you know, okay, well, we've got really one question to answer here. Uh, they can move that very quick. I mean. Might ruin the holidays for some of us. But, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. But you know, I mean, that's that. That nonetheless, I think we can do that. Our our time in Colorado, by the way, is January fifth. Mm. Um, that's when we certify our ballots, and we the, the ballots get certified. Uh, we have a March fifth uh, primary, and as soon as the ballots get certified, they start printing the ballots in Colorado because they have to mail it to overseas voters, military voters. So uh, it's it's not very fungible. Uh, so that is our, kind of our timeline and deadline. But we've made that everyone aware of that. The Cardinal Secretary of State has made everyone very aware of that. So I think that's why we're pushing so quickly. You have an excellent Secretary of State uh, in Jenna Griswold. And um, I, I, let's we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, we'll be following this case very closely. Hopefully we can talk again as we get closer to that. And, you know, maybe maybe the Supreme Court won't hear it. Maybe they'll be like, we're not going to hear this. Elections are up to the states. Kick it back down to whatever the Colorado Supreme Court decides. Who knows? But we'll keep an eye on it. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I uh, recommend everybody follow Mario Nicholas on the socials uh, so that you can uh, keep abreast of what's going on in this case. Thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. Everybody uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. If you've been listening to uh, these podcasts for a while, maybe even going back to the kitchen table days of Muller, she wrote, you'd know that I have been following very closely and very adamantly what we dubbed. Actually, I think somebody else coined it on Twitter and we picked it up. 
the Ukraine clown posse, which is Rudy Giuliani and his uh, Russian-backed Ukrainian pals who are known Russian agents trying to dig up dirt on the Bidens uh, at the request of Bill Barr and Donald Trump ahead of the 2020 election. Now, this has been a very serious ongoing saga. It uh, A lot of the public reporting has unveiled some um, uh, pretty... Pretty incredible wrongdoing by the the Bar Justice Department under Donald Trump, and uh, I think he purposefully closed those down those uh, those in investigations and and really opened up back channels to get information from Rudy and his Russian agent friends into the United States. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but. Just this past week, there was a story that came out. New York Times is reporting this headline, Ukraine indicts officials linked to efforts to investigate the Bidens. Three officials were accused of operating at the behest of Russian intelligence when they aligned with efforts by Rudy Giuliani to tie the Biden family to corruption in Ukraine. This is from Andrew Kramer at the Times. He goes on to say Ukrainian police and prosecutors have accused two politicians and a former prosecutor of treason, treason, saying they colluded with a Russian intelligence agency in aiding an effort by Rudy Giuliani several years ago to tie the Biden family to corruption in Ukraine. Those accused include Konstantin Kulik, a former Ukrainian deputy prosecutor general who had drafted a memo in 2019 suggesting Ukraine investigate Hunter Biden. President Biden's son for his role serving on the board of Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Also implicated were current member of Ukraine's parliament, Oleksandr Dubinsky, and a former member, Andriy Durkach, who had publicly advocated for an investigation into Ukraine in, uh, in Ukraine into Hunter Biden. They had also promoted a spurious theory that it was Ukraine, not Russia, that had meddled in the 2016 presidential election in the United States. The three were indicted on charges of treason and belonging to a criminal organization. The charges refer to, quote, information subversive activities and focus on actions in 2019 before the American presidential election in 2020. They do not say if or when the activity stopped. Now, in the run up to the 2020 election in the United States, Rudy and later former President Trump had encouraged Ukrainian officials to follow up on the allegations against Hunter Biden. The effort included a phone call by Trump to President Volodymyr Zelensky in July of 2019, urging an investigation into the Bidens at a time when the Trump administration was withholding military aid for the Ukrainian army. We remember it. The perfect phone call, right? Critics say that pressure to investigate the Bidens was politically motivated, aimed at harming the elder Mr. Biden's chances against Mr. Trump in the 2020 election. Uh, critics and, and myself and pretty much everybody says that. Now, Mr. Trump and Rudy denied there was anything inappropriate about their contact with Ukrainian officials, with Mr. Trump describing his phone call as perfect. The administration said military aid to Ukraine was withheld over concerns about corruption in the Ukrainian government. Mm -hmm. Now, the events led to Trump's first impeachment. We know that. Uh, Ukrainian media on Tuesday suggested the indictments, too, had a political component for Mr. Zelensky, that they were intended to send a signal to Biden um, as his administration is pressing Congress for military assistance to Ukraine, that Kiev will root out accused Russian agents, including those who had promoted accusations against his family. 
In statements released on Monday, Ukrainian police and the country's domestic intelligence agency said all three men were members of a spy network established inside the Ukrainian government and handled by Russia's military intelligence agency known as the GRU. These are Rudy's pals, his podcast buddies. The intelligence agency's statement said the Russians paid members of the group $10 million. An aide to Mr. Durkach, Ihor Kolensnikov, was detained earlier and convicted on treason charges. Two members of the group, Durkach and Kulik, fled Ukraine after Russia's full-scale invasion in 2022. The statement said Mr. Dubinsky was remanded to pretrial detention in a Ukrainian jail on Tuesday. Dubinsky's in jail. Dubinsky said uh, in a statement posted on the social networking site Telegram mm, that the prosecutors had not presented one fact to support their accusations and that the charges were retribution for criticizing Zelensky's government in his role as a member of parliament. He said that he testified a year and a half ago as a witness in a treason investigation of Mr. Durkacz, but at the time had not been accused of any wrongdoing. Dubinsky was expelled from Zelensky's political party, Servant of the People, in 2021 after the U.S. sanctioned him for meddling in the American political process. The Ukrainian intelligence agency's statement said that Mr. Kulik had used his position in the prosecutor general's office to promote investigations that worked in favor of the Kremlin. Now, in late 2018, Mr. Kulik compiled a seven-page dossier asserting that Ukrainian prosecutors had evidence that may attest to the commission of corrupt actions aimed at personal unlawful enrichment by former Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden. That's according to a copy leaked by Ukrainian bloggers. The dossier suggested that Biden, when he had served as vice president, had tried to quash a corruption investigation into Burisma, where his son served on the board. Former colleagues of Mr. Kulik at the prosecutor's office confirmed he'd written the document, which helped set in motion an effort by Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy, and other supporters to press for an investigation in Ukraine. In a phone call with Zelensky that became central to his impeachment, Trump asked the Ukrainian president to investigate supposed conflicts of interest by Biden when he was vice president. And that's according to White House notes of the call. Trump denied he had linked military aid to Ukraine in the investigation of the Biden family. Allegations of corruption and ties to Russia had trailed Mr. Kulik for years in the Ukrainian media and among anti-corruption watchdog groups before he compiled the dossier. In 2016, he was indicted in Ukraine on charges of illegal enrichment for owning apartments and cars that seemed beyond his means, beyond the means of his modest official salary. One car, a Land Cruiser, had been bought by the father of a military commander fighting on the Russian side of the war in eastern Ukraine. Now, that's the New York Times story. I wanted to uh, dig up a thread for you that I wrote in December of 2022 after I believe it was uh, ABC News um, did an investigation into some of the metadata attached to emails that were found on the hard drive abandoned, I'm doing I'm, all these are air quotes that you can't see me doing, abandoned at that Mac store in Delaware. And I said, thread, this is simple. The United States had intercepted communications showing Rudy was the target of a Russian disinformation campaign about Hunter Biden's laptop. That is why private social media companies chose not to share it and spread it. The warnings were based on multiple sources including intercepted communications of Giuliani interacting with Russian intelligence in a December 2019 trip to Ukraine, 
where he was gathering info he thought would expose Joe and Hunter Biden. Donald Trump's NSA warned Donald Trump in private conversations that the information Rudy brought back was contaminated by Russian disinformation. Quote, the info that Giuliani sought in Ukraine is similar to what is contained in emails and other correspondence published this week by the New York Post, which they said came from the laptop of Hunter Biden and were provided by Giuliani and Steve Bannon. Several Trump administration officials knew Rudy's bullshit was Russian disinformation, including, but not limited to, Robert O'Brien, Bill Barr, and Pat Cipollone. In fact, the Trump administration sanctioned Rudy's source, Andre Durkacz, for running an influence campaign against the Bidens. Durkacz is who was just indicted for treason among those three fellows in Ukraine. The Trump administration's DNI described Rudy's source as part of a Russian effort to interfere with the 2020 election by smearing the Bidens. All of that, and people are still listening to the boneheads who are paid for by the Saudis and the PRC that have no proof. Hunter Biden's laptop is a Russian disinformation op fabricated by Rudy and his Russian pals. There are authentic emails on it, but there are fabricated emails on it too, and no one can confirm the authenticity of the ones that the right wing is using as proof. In fact, the metadata on some of the quote-unquote documents shows they were created in Eastern Europe during the dates Rudy was there meeting with Russian spies. I am not making that up. Rudy actually broadcast those meetings. Now, I've been reporting, as I said, on this story for years, and I have yet to see a single shred of evidence from the right to back up their claims that emails fabricated by Rudy in Europe and uploaded to a laptop he left with his pal in Delaware are authentic, and no news outlet has been able to do so either. I am still waiting to hear what happened with this investigation here in the United States, because not only did that investigation go nowhere, but then Scott Brady, a Delaware U.S. attorney under Barr, was appointed to open a channel up for Rudy to bring in all the information he was getting from the Russian spies. Absolutely unbelievable. All right. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be right back with the good news. Stick around. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, everyone. Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the what the animal. What the animal? Send it to us. <laughs> Anything. We'll, we'll just try to guess what kind of animal it is. We, were, we, we could probably do that better than like breeds of or types of animals. Oh, for sure. At uh, least for me. If you have a shout out for a loved one, a small business in your area, uh, an adoptable pet in your area. If you have a whoopee story or a blankie story, a stuffed animal story. I love those holiday photos. Your happy place. Um, anything, anything at all you want to send us. We need your good news, especially over the holidays. So please send them in, even if it's just holiday photos, or if you've gone out and about and done something and you want to share that with us, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right. First up from the librarian is listening, pronouns she and her. Shout out to the Historical Congressional Cemetery in D.C. I volunteer there and it's beautiful and it's a beautiful and fun place. Yes, it's an active burial grounds. 
There's famous and infamous people, local residents, veterans, and even pets. They hold tours, a book club, and many other events. A local beekeeper has hives, and the honey is delicious. Soul strolls in October are awesome. Residents tell their stories so you can get history and entertainment. Come for the gay corner and stay for the suffragettes. The Marine concert for Sousa's birthday is a very niche D.C. event. The staff there is amazing. If you're in D.C., come visit congressionalcemetery.org. This whole thing sounds amazing. Librarian, thank you for sharing this with us. And the next person to share with us is Barb, um, pronouns she and her. Today, I listened to your Refried Beans podcast from 11820. I have to confess, I got a little verklempt all over again as I listened to the celebratory music at the beginning. I'm usually in control of my emotions, but learning that Joe Biden had won the election in 2020 gave me such a sense of relief that I actually broke down and cried. Your your podcast brought me back to that feeling again. I'm incredibly thankful for the last three years of sober, sensible, responsible leadership, and I'm looking forward to more. Now, to fulfill the pet tax, I've included a picture of my office manager's, uh, looks like Gigi, I think, which is uh, the black cat, and Enzo, which is the orange one. (laughs) Enzo's got some side eye, by the way. Between (laughs) treats and scritches, they supervise my work and silently judge. Enzo's definitely judging, as is their obligation as cats. Keeps the beans flowing. Oh my gosh, look at him. Oh yeah. (laughs) You're right. Enzo's like, meh. Yeah. (laughs) So adorable. Hi, babies. Cats are very good supervisors. They really are. And it might be Jai Jai. Jai Jai? I think Jai Jai. I'm going to change the name of the black cat from Gigi to Jai Jai. Hopefully that's right. Jai Jai and Enzo. Beautiful void either way. All right, I'm going to take the next two because they're short. And from Anonymous, no pronouns. Greetings, Beans Queens. Short and sweet. Shout out to Eugene Vinman, brother of Alexander Vinman, and distinguished service member in his own right for running for Congress in Virginia's 7th District. Absolutely. I was able to run into, I saw Eugene um, as he, the day he was announcing his candidacy when I was with Vote Vets up at the swamp trying to uh, lobby Congress to fund Ukraine. So absolutely incredible family. And uh, I wish him the best. Virginia's seventh district. Now, next up from David from Ohio, pronounce he and him. This weekend, our local high school, Berea Mid Park High School, I hope I'm saying that right, might be Berea. The Berea Mid Park High School Theater Department did its rendition of Clue based on the board game and the 1985 movie. I first started listening to Daily Beans when you did a joint episode with Gaslit Nation and shared your love for the Clue movie. So I thought you'd appreciate this good news. Absolutely. I remember the Clue episode with Gaslit Nation. And don't forget, there is a quote from the movie Clue in the beginning of every episode of Muller She Wrote back in the day. There you go. I love that movie. It was so good. It's uh, perfect. It's it really a perfect is. film. <laughs> All right. This one's from Stephanie, pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans Queens. Thank you so much for giving us truth with a side of swearing. I listen to you in the tub each morning. Quite literally will not start my day without you. My wife, Rachel, and I live in small town in Middle Tennessee. Sparta's located smack dab in the middle of state parks and waterfalls. Gorgeous. I now need to visit Sparta. Good to know. For the past three years, we've been building unique short-term vacation rentals here. So far, we've created three cabins with a treehouse and a trolley to go. I am okay. Now I need more information. Our spaces are built for reconnection. 
There were games, a record player with classic albums, band books, hanging chairs, and fire pits. Each cabin has a big garage door that opens to the deck. Inside out feel. It's all about connecting with others and put your phone down for a sec. So we are building decks, painting, putting up trim, the whole nine yards, and we're tired but joyful. This past week, we learned of new hateful laws just two counties over in Murfreesboro. I hope I'm saying Murfreesboro, right? Tennessee. It took it, I took it so personally as a lesbian and a small business owner. Divisive laws certainly don't encourage travel to Tennessee. Now, today, they updated the law and took public homosexuality out of the language. Ugh, yay? So yesterday, I can't hold her hand, and today I can? It's all hateful rhetoric. It's so disheartening. Anywho, we're here, we're queer, and we'd like all the cool people to know about us. Please come see us, and don't be afraid to visit Tennessee. There are wonderful people here and tons of secret progressives. Keep doing what you're doing. Peace and love, Stephanie and Rachel. Pet tax is Roscoe, is the white and black furry little fella, and Roxanne is the big brown girl. Both rescues. Rachel found Roscoe in the Walmart parking lot, and now he's ours. We don't know what they are. We can guess with Roxanne, but Roscoe? Okay, yeah, Bassett, right? But then Roscoe looks like maybe a little Maltipoo or... I would say so. Oh my God, but so cute. Adorable. Look at the little Pete's. I know. So cute. Also, I love that you're doing this. And uh, Tennessee, you know, whenever we talk about a state, I know some people are like, oh, Florida is horrible. Texas is horrible. Uh, No, uh, most of the legislature in both of those states are horrible. But there's some good people that cannot leave that state and are trying to change it from the inside out. And I know it's the same way in Tennessee. So thank you for being a little blue rainbow beacon uh, in this area and for building these cabins. I'm serious. I want to be, I want to see him one day. Yeah, we should go. All right. I'm in. All right. And we can connect. (laughs) (laughs) We can connect on our porches. Yep. On our garage door, inside out porches. That's right. I love this. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that submission. Uh, All right. We have a submission from space, pronoun she and her. What's up by the four non-blondes? When I was stationed in Korea, I lived off base across from the heavy metal bar and they played this song at least once a day. I have the album and the lyrics are also included on the download copy. The actual words are, I pray every single day. But for 30 years, I thought the lyrics were, I pray at the sink all day. Oh. (laughs) I didn't know until I heard Dolly Parton sing the song. Oh my God, that's funny. (laughs) For pet tax, this is a picture of the type of dog next door when I was in Korea. I lived at the bottom of a steep hill and passed her every day going to work and back. She was about, uh, she was on a 10 foot chain had a pallet to lay on outside in the entryway room indoors. I called her Pretty Girl since I never knew her name. It took a few weeks of just t- uh, talking to her, but then we became friends. Oh, she's beautiful. She is beautiful. So Akita? great. Looks like it, right? How come I can't get a what the mud on this? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely beautiful dog. Gorgeous. And yeah, uh, I pray at the sink all day. That's absolutely hilarious thank you (laughs) (laughs) all right this was from anonymous pronouns she and her hello lovely sheroes listening to you makes me so happy it's my favorite way to start the day Mm -hmm. i'm writing today because well spiders as a way to overcome a big life upset i started writing a garden journal and posting it on substack this link is going to be in the show notes anywho i started posting in august and quickly realized that there was a most beautiful spider in my garden i soon learned she was writing she was a writing spider 
who goes by several other names, such as Yellow Garden Spider. I started to include her in most of my posts, and a friend encouraged me to name her, which I did. Beatrice. <laughs> please, please know I am not a spider fan. Same girl. But I became obsessed with Beatrice and started learning all about her. I'm sharing a picture of Beatrice uh-oh, with you all here. She was enormous, but very passive. Well, she did capture a wasp at least once. Being passive did not keep her from being a badass. I'm hopeful that another writing spider will move into my garden next spring. I'm also including cute kitty pics just in case large spiders are stress-inducing to anyone. <laughs> and yes, there are a lot of kitties in the house. Love and positive energy to you both. You help us all make sense of this madness surrounding us. Look at all the kitties, and I am afraid to scroll because I am one of those people that is irrationally afraid of spiders. Kitty, kitty, and kitty. oh, yep, nope, 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 <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. That's a beautiful spider. No. Nope. Yeah, we, we call them uh, orb weavers here, I believe. Oh. <laughs> scroll up, Dana. Scroll up. I did. I'm back to the Akita. <laughs> <laughs> you scrolled way up. You scrolled hard. <laughs> I did. I scrolled real, real hard. I want to love them. I, I've been trying to go through shock therapy watching like episodes of Survivor. I can't. I can't. I don't know what it is. I can't. Oh, well, don't watch arachnophobia. Nope. Yeah, don't do that. You'll die. Uh, okay. Beautiful Beatrice. Thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. I love writing spiders. They're they're yes. neat. I mean, I we have a couple. We call them all. All of them are named Paul. Oh, good. Yeah, they're just all Paul. So <laughs> we're like, oh, look, it's Paul. Paul's over. Oh, there's a Paul over there. <laughs> hey, Paul. And they like to they like to spin their webs in in pathways where humans walk. Of course, like, they do. Like. Like they're going, like they're really ambitious. Yep. <laughs> like they're going to try to catch us. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, we appreciate all this good news. I, I'm I'm really resting my voice, y'all. I'm really doing my best to get well. I stayed home all weekend. I did nothing but rest and relax, and I'm going to keep doing that. So uh, I, I I do apologize if uh, my voice is a bit scratchy. Your uh, voice is sexy. You really sound lovely, my friend. I know it may sound worse to you, especially when we have our headphones on, but you're you're doing just fine, I assure you. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we just got a lot more listeners. Oh, I didn't know there was this kind of podcast. Oh, it's this kind of news. Oh, all right. Next week, Stormy Daniels will be joining us. Yeah. Um, actually, that would be great. I'm going to see if I can reach out to her publicist. But anyway... Please send us your good news. We need all your good news. If you have been thinking about doing it, now is the time to do it because it's the end of the year. And for some reason, there's like a dearth of, of good news. I think because pe people are actually experiencing good things um, on, on a more regular basis. And uh, that helps. That kind of helps us take our mind off of things. Uh, so share it with us, please. Yes, please. At dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right. That is the show for today. I know it was a long one, but we had a lot of news to get to you. And I really wanted to talk to that lawyer um, who's working on the Colorado case, Mario. I can't wait to catch up with him again and see where this case ends up. I think uh, it's really, it's got a good chance. So any final thoughts before we get out of here today, my friend? No final thoughts today, dear. All right. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Check out the new episode of Jack that's out now. And until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take all that family with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. 
For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.